I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. We have covered in various episodes Congressional Democrats' proposals to take over the administration of elections, but state-level conservatives have responded by tightening election integrity protections. Joining me to discuss the status of state-level election reform is Jessica Anderson of Heritage Action for America. Uh, Jessica, before we begin, can you tell us a bit about your background in the election integrity work you guys do at Heritage Action? Sure. Thanks, Michael, for having me. It's, it's really great to, to be with, on with you guys today. And so Heritage Action, we're a, a grassroots organization. We have 2 million activists that span coast to coast. And this last year in 2021, uh, we launched our first ever state advocacy efforts to secure and to strengthen state election systems and the laws that were on the books. So we did an initial investment of $10 million dollars. Um, and a commitment to, to devote whatever was needed to accomplish the goals to secure elections at the state level. We worked in eight states uh, and supported lawmakers um, as they introduced these bills. And then in a lot of cases like Georgia, like Texas, like Arizona, like Florida, the bills were successful and made their way um, to the governor's desks and those governors signed them. And so we're in 2022 now and we're really eager to hit the ground running and, and work with and support other state lawmakers as they tackle these issues um, at the state level. So before we kind of get into the issue, the details of the issue, let's step back uh, um, to maybe, I guess, 10,000 feet. Why is election integrity, why is your election integrity work important? Because what what your opponents are going to say and have been saying and do say whenever they... uh, are opposing these proposals, uh, that this is just all about preventing legitimate voters from voting. This is all about, and and they then start imputing nefarious motives. Why should, why should states be taking action on election integrity? So first and foremost, the Constitution sets up and answers this question very clearly, that states are the primary arbiters of elections. And that role is run not only through the Secretary of State's office, but from election day officials that run all the way down to the local level with poll watchers, poll workers, EDO managers, etc. And so, you know, I think first and foremost, you've got this back and forth between whose role is it really to govern the election? Is it the state level? Is it at the federal level? A lot of Hmm. uh, people across the aisle right now on the left want to see the federal government take a very outsized role because they think that states are out of bounds or that they're racist or they're trying to suppress the vote. Um, We know that that's not true. Look, if if you look at a state like Georgia, for the last three decades, they have passed election reform bills every single legislative session It just so happens that SB 202 last year caught the eye of the national left mainstream media and caused the circus of which we experienced um, with with a complete disregard to the facts of what the bill does. And I think that's really the second point here, Mike, which is to look at what these reforms actually do to make it easy for citizens to vote 
and make it hard for cheaters to cheat. The reforms that we have recommended do things like making elections more secure, more transparent, giving Americans the ability to have confidence that their vote isn't stolen. And the, the way to do that is to require a voter ID, something that is supported by over 85% of Americans. It's to prohibit the private funding of election officials. It's to verify the citizenship of voters. And it's to accurately verify voter registration lists. I mean, this is these are common sense provisions. And this is the role that states have to govern their elections so that people like you and I, when we go into the ballot box and we vote, that we know that our vote is secure and that it's not diluted by cheaters on the other side. So that's why right. we're so doing why, this. So why, yeah. So what's so important about ensuring, you know, we've discussed at various points, uh, you know, with people like Jason Sneed of Honest Elections Project, things like voter roll integrity. Um, what is so important about voter ID specifically and also identification on mail-in votes? Mm-hmm. Why Why is that? I mean, you know, it, it matters a great deal to you guys, and the other side is so adamant mm-hmm. that it be stopped. Again, to the point where I believe in the HR1, it's they would outlaw it. Yeah, that's right. They actually um, would make mute, moot any state bill that required voter ID. They would wipe it out. If HR1 were to pass and Biden were to sign it, voter ID at the state level would be obsolete. And so to answer your question, and I, and I think our good friend Jason Sneed would agree with me on this, having having a simple check of a citizen saying who they are is who they are before they do the most sacred activity, the most American form of our republic to vote is a very common sense safeguard that it exists to ensure you are who you say you are. You have to show your ID to do a myriad of things on a daily, weekly basis. And having that safeguard in place ensures that illegal uh, immigrants that are here illegally, that they are not voting, and those that are not um, properly registered are not voting. So the, the and point it's, and it's, is and it's, safeguard. You know, it's all, you know, it's funny. I am sitting in the District of Columbia recording this, where until last week, it was illegal to eat in a restaurant without a, without a photo ID. You're exactly uh, right. as part of As part of the vaccine passport regime, um, although it is not required to vote. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wasn't that ironic, too? In D.C., you, you not, not only do you not have to show an ID to vote, like me, when I went to vote in Washington, D.C., I... I offered to show it on my own accord because I wanted them to check. And the, the, the election day official turned her head away. So that you don't need that here. You don't need to show your ID at all. So not only do you not have to show it, they actively discourage you. Whereas the vaccine passport regime that we've seen in major blue cities like Washington, D.C. across the country, you can't even enter a restaurant to get takeout or to let alone sit down without showing your cards at the door. So I guess now we can move on to the, to the states. Um, what states are pushing the—I guess what states are being the boldest? What states are being the—are the most likely to succeed? Who is starting from a bad place, getting to a good place? Who's improving from a good place? What's the current state of play? 
So there's a number of states that are picking up where they left off after last legislative cycle. And so Arizona uh, is one of those states. They had um, a great um, progress made last legislative session. You saw a number of bills, including the prohibition on private um, on private funding of election officials and government agencies passed the Zuckbucks bill, as we yeah, um, that's that it. that's the after what Mark Zuckerberg and the Center for Tech and Civic Life did in the last right. election, where they were funding local election officials to instead of having the government actually pay for the elections, the government runs. That's right. Yes, exactly. And so Arizona passed that bill last year. They they made a significant amount of improvements, and they're back at it again. They have two new bills that um, are being worked on right now, as well as a Voter ID Act ballot initiative that's being run by the grassroots in Arizona. So I think we're going to see action from Arizona this month. Um, Florida is another state in that bucket. They, DeSantis led um, a very aggressive effort last legislative session to pass legislation. They're going back at it again. There's House bills and Senate bills in the Florida state legislature that are going through their respective committees now. Um, I expect we'll see a lot of action from Florida. Uh, DeSantis is not only requiring voter ID on absentee ballots, but he's also um, suggesting some improvements around voter roll maintenance on the procedures, on the frequency. Um, He's also creating uh, the first of its kind, a state office of election crimes and security. And this would basically uh, give money behind investigations to, to reporting uh, election crimes and election fraud. And so Florida and also, and also kick it, kick it up to the state level where, cause a lot of the proven cases of election fraud are in municipal, are in municipal elections, especially municipal primary elections. And the winners of municipal primary elections, uh, where there is malfeasance may not be so inclined to investigate whether there was malfe- malfeasance in the election that elected them. Yeah, that, that's right. And so DeSantis outlining, outlining this sort of office just shows how um, what a significant opportunity is to, to bat down on that fraud and to do it the right way. So in, these, in the basket of states that um, took action last year, we expect them to take action this month, this legislative cycle. It's Florida and Arizona. Other states to watch are places like South Carolina. Um, where there is a lot of action moving on the Senate side. It includes several different election reforms that would um, increase security, increase the integrity, it would uh, establish routine election audits, for instance, in the state of, of South Carolina. So we're really... Why are, why are, the, why would the, why would, why are those important? Why, why, why is that something that we should be, be looking for? So election audits, I think the the best way to think about them is that they need to be routine. So there's nothing out of the ordinary to to double check your work and to go back and to confirm that the results were what we thought that they were and that there wasn't any malfeasance or attempted fraud on the back end. And so the more we can make audits routine, regular, boring, and not these hyper-partisan um, or rank partisanship sort of objective that they've become, the better off we as a country are going to be. They're important because they give confirmation to voters that there was no malfeasance or fraud that disrupted or diluted um, the election process. And so if South Carolina is successful to establish these routine election audits, I think you're going to see a lot of states follow suit after that because it's just a part of the regular maintenance process, just as we should check the voter roll lists 
mm-hmm. on the front end that they're accurate before we even start. And and by and by process. making it a and by making it a prospective thing going forward rather than an I'm going to take a look back at a past election that I may not have liked the outcome of that 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 is a sort of a confidence building measure in the notion of election audits themselves. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yep. And so South Carolina will be a state that that tackles that head on. I would keep an eye out for that. And then you have states like South Dakota, like Virginia, that are in the middle of of heated debates right now. In South Carolina, um, the full floor vote. South South Dakota. Sorry, South Dakota. uh, The full the full floor vote on the Zuckerbucks um, provision that we were just talking about that doesn't allow the private funding of election officials and government officials, like how Mark Zuckerberg did this last election, um, should make its way to Governor Nome's desk imminently. Virginia is is going to be a little bit trickier. Obviously, there's um, a lot of politics that are involved in in the House versus the Senate and the makeup of um, yeah the the, the the Democrats control the state Senate, so uh, there's a partisan division. That's right. And so, what has passed the House in the Virginia House that required a photo photo ID to vote? Um, that would have modifications around the permanent absentee voter list. It would require absentee ballots to be returned on election day, something, again, that ensures that you don't have ballots coming in weeks or months after an election. That whole package um, has actually now failed in the Democrat-controlled Senate in Virginia. And so they'll go back to the drawing board to see if there's a opportunity to bypass the Senate? Can you have a ballot initiative and, and kind of what that would look like at the state level? So those are just yeah, some and, of and the I just I just want to like make make a make a little policy point on the California's election month. California, if I recall correctly, has like the most wide guideline for when absentee ballots can come in. Uh, nobody really pays attention to it because we know how California as a state is going to vote under the current sort of political alignments. You know, imagine if we didn't know for months after Election Day, because we were waiting for the ballots to come in, who was going to control the House or Senate or who was going to win the Electoral College uh, or, you know, heaven forfend, they adopt a national popular vote and then we have to wait for the national popular vote to come out. Right. Um, You know, meanwhile, you have the state like Florida, which has a relatively tight as I recall, uh, deadline for absentee ballot arrival, you know, they can count their close selections. You know, there was a, as, as we discussed this, there was a, um, a recent special election for the Jacksonville city council, 120, I want to say about 120,000 people voted, um, you know, and they knew who won in a couple hours and it was a close election that was decided by like three and a half points. Uh, that sort of quick, decisive, clear outcome gives voters and citizens confidence that their votes are being accurately counted and that nobody's playing games behind the scenes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what's ironic is that you have more blue states that actually don't uh, allow like Biden's home state of Delaware that didn't that doesn't allow up until this year any period of early voting, whereas you've got states like Georgia that the left obviously went after in a very aggressive way that increased the number of days of early voting, which is why I think Mike this is there's so much um, farce around the framing 
of what these reforms actually do and how they they don't they're not actually racist they're not actually trying to suppress the vote they truly are trying to make it easier for people to vote and and more difficult for people to cheat and that's not a bad thing and and we're completely um, upside down in how we talk about the election and the election space it went from this you know sleepy um, sleepy thing that only really smart lawyers cared about to this hugely partisan issue that's on every news channel at 6 p.m. and every late night talk show from, you know, Samantha Bee to John Oliver. I mean, it's just, it's just wild. So we're in this weird period where I think we have to, we have to, um, as conservatives and as constitutionalists, we have to retake the narrative and show people exactly what these reforms do and, and then what the election day process should look like. And we don't need an election year on the front end or the back end of our election day. Right. Yeah. No, the, the, there is again, something to be said for, you know, there may be specific provisions of Florida election law that are good and specific ones that are bad, but the getting a clear, accurate, solid, decisive result without weird, you know, shifts in the voting after right. the poll, you know, after some of the vote has been counted, um, you know, and again, in Florida got where it is because they had a bad election. Sure. They had the 2000 presidential election, which was, you know, considered badly managed. The technology was not where it needed to be. So you had the butterfly ballot, then you had the questions about the recount and then, but after 2000, you know, Florida, then under Governor Jeb Bush, you know, knuckled down and said, no, we're going to fix this and we're not going to have this happen again. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a fairly divided state. They've had, you know, statewide elections, you know, in which millions of people voted, decided by a few thousand votes. And yet the, you know, there, there is confidence in the results, even though they've gone both ways. Yeah, it's an interesting point you brought up, too, about how some on the left will cry fraud when they don't like the results of the election, but then they can't even imagine that any fraud could exist when they win. So the I mean, it's it's, it's to 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 put a name to an example, Mark Elias, who uh, in 2020, as uh you know, Democrats were denouncing President Trump for some of his more outlandish and unsubstantiated theories of about voting machines was actually arguing that voting machines were somehow compromised in congressional elections that Republicans had won. Yeah. And Stacey Abrams, right? Stacey Abrams up to this day has not conceded that she lost her first effort to be the governor of Georgia. So, you know, these reforms there's a lot of reasons that election integrity should be a bipartisan, nonpartisan even issue because it's something that all Americans, regardless of political background, should care about. And it's certainly why we got involved. It's it's why we're, we care so much and why we've invested so much to keep our elections safe and secure. And and it's, it's ironic because, um, you know, the Carter-Baker Commission that we've all now gotten very familiar with had a lot, was bipartisan 20 years ago, and had a number of the reforms that states are tackling now were part of those recommendations. So there's nothing new under the sun. 
this is all a rehash over the last three political decades here in Washington. Uh, but states are right to tackle this issue, and they're certainly right to, to fight back against the smear tactics of the left to distort and to paint and to vilify lawmakers, governors, um, in such negative light when they're really just trying to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. Well, uh, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to let our listeners know about uh, the work you guys are doing? Well, I would just thank everyone. You know, this is such an important issue. Um, We definitely need the help. So if any listeners are interested in getting involved, um, we'll be tracking these bills. We are transparent every step of the way about our role uh, in the process to support lawmakers, support and cheerlead governors. Uh, You can find all of this information at SaveOurElections.com. All right. Well, thank you again to Jessica Anderson of Heritage Action for America for joining us. We will include links to Heritage Action and Heritage Foundation election integrity resources in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. (music) 